Hello, we are Terra Nova, a horror podcast hosted by Kendall and Jackie, and here we talk about everything horror. And this podcast is specifically for you, the horror fans, and the non-horror fans. If you're too scared to watch the movies, it's fine. We talk about it, we discuss it, we dissect it, we laugh about it, talk about the good, the bad, and the tropes. And we have new episodes released Tuesdays bi-weekly. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Terranova underscore podcast. But also feel free to reach out through email at terranova.pod at gmail.com. And most importantly, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. And tell your dog too. Cujo. <laughs>
which is based on a short story written by Bram Strokes called Dracula's Guest. It it's basically it basically follows like the events after the first theatrical release of Dracula. You know, Dracula is dead. Um, Van Helsing apparently is on trial for murder because people outside of Transylvania still refuse to believe that vampires exist. They think, oh my god, he murdered a man. Um, <clears throat> it goes into the introduction of his daughter, Countess Seleska. And after hearing the it's fact a hell that, of a name. I know. After hearing the fact that her father had passed away, she feels kind of rejoiceful, like, oh my god, he's dead, haha. You know, I'm free, I'm free. But before she could realize she is quote unquote free, she realizes at towards the end, like not even towards the end, but the whole entire movie that she actually is not. And so you basically yep. follow Zaleska in her path of trying to find some type of release as she's always telling her um her her man help i don't know what you call him man butler or man something i just called him her familiar basically yeah it pretty much is her familiar and um her man servant yeah that she's like i want to have some type of release i don't want to be with this curse my father plagued me with i want to be normal i want to be this i don't want to feed into the impulses and you know we find her in london where she meets this psychiatrist named jeffrey garth and he has this whole like um study of the mind and trying to break like uh, addictions and whatnot and so she goes to him and means of helping her release this curse that she's plagued with but without really telling him like what exactly it is she just gives a little hints of like oh you know i just have to these urges that i feel these impulses i feel they're just too much doctor oh my god and uh <clears throat> All the while he's thinking she's talking about some type of other like sickness or addiction, but really is is vampirism trying to fight. <laughs> yep. And so while he's in his own, you know, storyline, Doctor Garth, you know, with his with his, you know, assistant Janet, who oh my god, like yo, she's fucking wild. But and also the uh the cop, Sir I Sir um my God, Sir Basil, who's in charge of the police in London. Mm-hmm. And, you know, still in disbelief of what happened. A string of, myster- of mysterious, like, occurrences have been happening all in London. Where, you know, men and women have been showing up, being kind of, like, sickly. Have no idea what happened to them. Have little bite marks or whatever. And so, you know, Jeffrey Garth, knowing more about Van Helsing, talking to him as a psychiatrist, trying to figure out what's going on. He stumbles upon a case of a woman that Zel- that uh, Zaleska had entertained, and once he sees that she has bite marks, he's just like, "Oh, gotta mention Van Helsing, gotta talk to him." And of course, again, the police and everyone yep. in London are still just like, "What is this? You know, pitch posh. This is not real. What is what's urban legend? What are you crazy? You're drunk, blah blah." And he's just like, "No, I think I know what's going on." And Van Helsing basically tells him like, there- "There's no way." There's no way this is possible because I killed Dracula. How is this possible? And, you know, he's given... Garth is given little clues here and there that who might be the person um, in charge or involved in these occurrences. And then Mm -hmm. it does lead to him finally realizing, like, oh, shit, it's Zaleska. 
and doing so you know he confronts her you know she still at first denies what it is but then eventually because of what happened to the girl lily that she um had bit and later died in the hospital she finally confesses it like you know yes i'm dracula's daughter i want to be free of this curse like it's unfortunate she died but you need to help me be free i need you to help me and all of this time like at first you know, her manservant, Sandar, is just like, do you still want release? And she's like, no, I'm way past that. It's too late for me. Yeah. I want him to be my immortal companion, which accepts, upsets Sandor. Because Sandor's just like, what about me, bitch? You promised me. The hell? Yeah, he, <laughs> he went off. He was like, motherfucker. Like, he, I already knew he was going to be somebody downfall. Yeah, and doing so because he was so upset. And... I guess slightly jealous the fact that she chose this 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 normal man versus Sandor. He was just like, if I can't have you, no, I will. And ends up basically shooting yeah. Zaleska in the chest with an arrow, and then trying to shoot uh, Garth as well. Because towards the end of the film, Zaleska still trying to entice Garth. He she basically kidnaps Janet, his assistant. And uses that as a whole ploy of just like, join me or she dies. You know, if you want her to mm-hmm. live, then then give me you, you know, and then I'll give you back, you know, your, your Janet or whatever. But she's also very like interested and enticed by Janet's beauty as well. But yeah, so it's a whole little like love triangle slash love square that happens. Sandor's just like, screw this shit, kills Zaleska. <laughs> The cops finally come because they finally believe Garth. Like, oh my god. They go to Transylvania. They kill Sandar. You know, uh, Jeanette's free of the curse and all this stuff. And Garth and, you know, Janet has this whole, like, moment at the end. Just like any other forced romantic film ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny when they see Zaleska's body. They're like, oh, she's a beautiful woman. And Val Helsing was like, she was when she died 10,000 years ago. And then, boom, moved on. <laughs> yep. That, that's pretty much it. You pretty much summed it up. Movie's so sad, though. It's beautiful, but sad. But yeah, there were some moments that I was just like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, this movie had uh, far more comedy than I expected. Like, you know, uh, and, and when I say comedy, I mean, like, not just funny because of the time period. I mean, like, genuinely, like, did they have a comedy writer on this? Like, like that kind of funny. Cause some of the lines were just like really hilarious. Like from the, so many, yeah, so many of them, like, um, from the beginning with the cops, when they had the bodies at the police station, that was fucking hilarious. Had a had a first guy went in there and he was just like, man, there's rats in there. And then his like basically manager went in there was like, you know, damn rats. Him and the rats in here, Evan. He's like, well, there's rat in there. And he goes there, looks around, sees nothing, but he kind of sees what looks like the gravel where the bodies are buried are kind of moving. And he's just like, he doesn't say anything. He just walks back out and he's just like, yeah, no rats. We good. But then he's like, I need to go. So uh, here's his pistol in case, just in case something happens. He's like, in case what happened? He said, in case the bodies get up. I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm like, it felt like a skit out of like the Three Stooges that somebody used to watch out a lot when I was a kid. It definitely mm-hmm. felt like a three steve just get i was like yo this is like genuinely funny and then of course the banter between the doctor and janet were hilarious every time from like the fucking moment she came on screen 
I was dying. Like when he pulled, when she pulls up and the, the guy asks the doctor, he said, who's that? He's like, that's my assistant. I tried to tell her to forget where I was going when she was in London. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, this is the thing. The banter was killing me. The banter had me dying the whole movie. I was like, they dumb as hell. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because like, you don't think anything at first until they introduce the, Les- the Leska to Garth. And then that's when Janet, you know, gets all like jealous. Or she's like, who is this yeah. bitch? Who she thinks she is talking to my man like that i'm like ma'am you are his assistant please be professional you are among people so can we be professional <laughs> she was trying sometimes oh my god when she calls him at her house as aleska's mansion in london and Xander <laughs> was just like it's a call for him but the way he said that like him like this garbage in my house <laughs> and he goes and is janet trying to impersonate some weird person like the zoo needs you and blah blah yeah. blah blah and he's like janet got the phone <laughs> and i'm just like yo she trying too hard like girl like ma'am you are his assistant please be professional can we that do that please funny. that was hilarious though like it had me died and i love it when he, when uh, Sandor came in there again, it was like you got a call. He was like, "Is it a woman's voice or a man's voice?" He was like, "Man's voice." And this time it actually was the doctor. The dude going off on the guy, and he's like, "I'm the actual doctor." He said, "I bet you are. <laughs> I'll take your ass to a zoo." <laughs> and he was like, "You know what, Janet? I don't care what gender you are. When I see you, I'm gonna slap you across the nose. That should have me dying." And the guy was on the other end, like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> I know. He was just like, "Is this really the person from St. Mary's Hospital?" He's like, "Oh." Oh, oh, <laughs> yes. Hello. You could just tell they do this every week. Like this is this is how they <laughs> interact. I know that he got on her. He was just like, "Do you know what you did?" I yelled at the doctor because I thought it was you, and she was just like, "Well, good, good for you." I'm resigning <laughs> anyway. And he's just like, "Great." And then the the nurse came in. It's like, "Doctor, we have a patient." He was just like, he ripped her resignation letter. It was like, "Come on, get your notebook." And she's like, "What? I'm going home." He's like, "No." You're coming. <laughs> Let's go. He also got her back, though, because even prior to that, she was like, you know, I'm so tired. He was like, yeah, because I, I made my assistant call. You, I called, made one of the nurses call you a half a, every half an hour last night so you wouldn't get a lick of sleep. <laughs> I'm like, this is what y'all just do? This is how y'all live? <laughs> that had me dying, yo. I was just like, wow, 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 wow. Like, again, y'all guys are supposed to be professional, ma'am, sir. What is happening? <laughs> that shit is hilarious. Hey, I, I really appreciate it, especially for a movie that's in the 1930s. You know, usually it's like some really weird conversations between like men and women. So for it to be one where there's like actually like legit banter is like really funny and like really, really good. Like, I mean, like even by today's standards, that shit is hilarious. Yeah. What I found interesting about the movie was the fact that, um, <clears throat> so for those who have been listening to our podcast since the beginning you already know that how when we did um interview with the vampire and a whole bunch of other stuff regarding vampirisms including um what is it, the moth diaries we mentioned how mm-hmm. i briefly mentioned this movie in one of those episodes that dracula's daughter is the first film in like you know in media in theater and you know film where we witnessed the first like queer vampire ever. And this is before Interview the Vampire ever existed. Before Anne Rice even like was born and put a pen in her hand. Yeah. So it was very interesting 
And that's why I said to how like the movie didn't do well in, in theaters when it first came out. But years later, it has become this big icon of like, oh my God, this was my awakening. I felt seen. I felt this representation, all this stuff. And it's very subtle. It's not very in your face about it. And I mean, granted, 1936, you know, before the 60s, they had those whole like laws, you know, of like, oh, you can't show this. You can't mention this. We can't do that because it's taboo. It's this and that. And some directors or studios found ways to, you know, go around it. But what I liked about this film is that Zaleska, Countess Zaleska, she's not, she's not just fighting the curse, the quote-unquote curse that she's talking about, the vampirism, what she, wasn't, what she didn't ask to be born with. She's also fighting the urges that she's also enticing not just men but women, but it's mostly women that she's enticing. Because, you know, when you see when she first meets Lily, she's just so, like, in awe mm-hmm. of her beauty. And, you know, goes up to her and it's just like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're this and that. And then even when she, um, Sandor captures Janet and she sees her lying there, you see Zaleska literally lowering her body close to Janet's body. Like, getting closer to her face. So, I like the yeah. subtleness of that where it's not so in your face. But you see it. Where you're just like, okay, I see where this is going. Kind of into him, and she's kind of into her too. Interesting. You know, because we never really saw that in vampirism until years later when Aaron Rice introduced us to, you know, the Vampire Chronicles. Yeah. So this movie was very much ahead of its time. And it's just very, like, fascinating how that was just so, like, subliminal, you know? Yeah, uh, you're right. And it, it's like I didn't even realize that this is kind of like what the, what the blueprint for that was until, you know, you highlighted it even prior to telling me about the movie. And then uh, in one or two of the articles that we read, they kind of highlighted it as well. And I was like, man, that's like really interesting. As you know, now, considering we have so many vampire movies to choose from, you have, like you know, the idea of what, what should happen and what shouldn't happen and like how the lore goes and what are the rules. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's easy to forget like these things came from somewhere way back when (laughs) like they didn't start now so even if it seems like it's uh, something that you just kind of go oh that's like the thing it's like this thing came from somewhere so seeing kind of where that thing came from is really interesting uh yeah really interesting in the way the story unfolds like even in the character's queerness like the character was kind of interested for the moment she came on screen she was like compelling and you kind of like well who the hell is this person and like i was you know by the title uh dracula's daughter i wasn't sure if it was i assumed it was something like you know like um like a biological daughter type thing you know like he had a dated a woman or married a woman or something had a child with him but it seems like it's just more of like the context of like you know her also being a vampire makes her a child of vamp dracula and i was like oh that's that's really interesting how that kind of unfolds and that she kind of even views it in the same light so yeah it's interesting that she's kind of like she she's queer as fuck, of course, <laughs> and like she definitely gave off the the vibe of like I like women more than men, but you know of course they they mask it in the whole I need to feed feed blood, but I don't want to feed blood type of thing where it's like it's supposed to be taboo, so I shouldn't do it, but in reality it's a thing that I'm I want to do the most. So it yeah, the character is super compelling, super interesting. I really really like what this movie did, and I'm surprised I've never heard of it prior to now. What I like too about it is that um, in one of the articles I said the how this was the first time we ever saw the uh, the tortured soul vampire ever in media as well. 
you know, Dracula was never yeah. remorseful of what he was doing. In later years, you know, they would show that how, like, he was very remorseful because of the love that he lost. And so he was the sad vampire, the romantic vampire. But, like, when the first film first came out with, you know, um, what is it? Uh, Lugosi. It was mm-hmm. not really, it was, he was charming, but he was never remorseful. He wasn't sorry for what he was doing. He's just like, yeah, I bit her and I'll do it again. You know, where, where for her, <laughs> yeah, for real. it's just like, it's like, I, I couldn't help it. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. And she did feel like when, when um, Garth told her, oh, that girl you took back to your studio, she's dead. You could see in her face that her eyes widened up like, oh my God, you know? She did feel a sense of just like, fuck. Like, how? Why? You know? Yeah. And it's just, it, that's also very interesting. You know? I mean, I feel, yeah. like, I feel like maybe in the books, they do kind of highlight the torture soul of Dracula. But, you know, in media back in the day, it was just this charming vampire who was an asshole who didn't care. He was just like, yeah, I bit them. I'll do it again. It's just like, damn, okay. <laughs> yeah for real and actually i think you said it perfectly like with with dracula i you never at least from what i recall of all the versions of dracula i've seen you never get the vibe that he's like remorseful for being a vampire uh you always get the vibe of like he is remorseful that he like lost something that he loved like whether it's a person or experience it's like that's that's his tragedy it's like losing something that like he like you know like a human something that he experienced that he can't get back which is like i guess would make sense considering he's like the first so you know once he accepts the fact that he was like probably the first or the only then it's like oh cool i just have like the superior power over everyone i dope like i'm fine with that and it's just like experiences at that point of what kind of drives him because now we've seen dracula as like this compelling complicated figure who yes he kills people and really doesn't give a fuck about the killing but he also like can lose like a human can lose it's just his losses experienced differently. Like, you know, like we saw in the show, in the animated show Castlevania or even in different movies. Like, that's kind of be, that's kind of like his experience. Meanwhile, with uh, newer vampires, they tend to do uh, the whole I don't want to kill type of thing, which would make sense. Like, you know, if you lived, Dracula lived what, hundreds of years? I'm sure he got, he had mad time to get over that shit. Mm-hmm. And then you get somebody who's like maybe 20 something or 30 something years old. And they now have this new power and all of that shit. But the cost of that power is that you have to feed on someone. It's like, I just lived, I've only lived for like 30 years. Like, now introducing blood as my life source is kind of strange. <laughs> so, like, you could see why they would be tortured about it. As even with her. It's like, that's one thing I like about this character, though. Like, thinking about it was the fact that she didn't seem to have a problem with being a vampire. She just had a problem with the bloodlust. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me. I think me. that's really interesting. It is interesting. And it reminds me of Blade. Like, Blade hated Mm -hmm. the vampire side of him. He always saw it as a weakness because he denied it so much by using those, like, um, vials of blood replica to, you know, to, um, what is it, to conceal the thirst. He always found that as a weakness. You know, and I love how when, because there was another book that I used to recall, the the Chronicles of Vladimir Todd, who is this young um, Dampier, which is a half vampire, half human. And he also mm-hmm. talked about his struggles. And when he first found out how 
vampires feed, which is, you know, humans, he felt so estranged about that where he was just like, I can never do that. That's something that's so abnormal to me because half my friends, half my family is human. I can never see myself doing that. And it is interesting with her where it's like, yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like she also kind of didn't like the fact that she was a vampire eater either. You know, she could only travel at nighttime. You know, whenever the doctor would be like, meet me after four, meet me at this time. And she's like, I can't. Like, I, I literally can't see you because I will die. But, like, she really wanted to be normal and human. And I've seen that as well in a kid's movie called The Little Vampire. Where, mm, uh, <laughs> yeah, The Little Vampire, him, his family, they wanted to become human. You know, they didn't ask to become vampires. You know, vampirism, which... For those who've seen True Blood, I love how they describe it so much in True Blood, where um, when she kept saying, oh, I'm Dracula's daughter, and Van Helsing, his face was just like, I didn't know she had a daughter. They introduce vampires that are considered brother and sister, not by blood, but mm -hmm. because they share the same creator. That makes so, sense. So, in a way, I do see why she would think that of like oh i'm dracula's daughter maybe he created her at a young age and thus mm -hmm. becoming you know his daughter and being like i didn't ask for this i didn't want this and you know it's so interesting how people will always say oh i would love to be immortal i would love to stay alive for all the immortality and all this stuff all the stuff but then when you think about it it's just like what's really the benefit of being immortal you don't die okay but and the negative side is that you're watching all your loved ones die before you can. You can never join them. You can only watch them die. I think that's also why she wanted release from. Where she's like, I don't want to be immortal. I want to be normal. I want to step outside the sunlight. I don't want to have this urge of hurting people. Because it hurts me. You know, I don't want to have to keep going on the hunt to survive. Like, why can't I just be normal? Yeah. It's very interesting that she was the first to be that persona on screen and also bringing to life Carmilla, which was the first vampire, even before Dracula was ever written. You know, Carmilla, mm -hmm. the first lesbian vampire in literature. And it's so interesting that she brought all that to life back in the day. And then again, years later, people still talk about this movie as being iconic, as in like, oh, this was what my awakening was. Or like, you know, I felt her pain of trying to conceal who you are, erase who you are because of how society viewed you. And it's just so like, it's very, um, what's the word, like metaphorical about it, mm -hmm. the way she is. And I mean, I just, that's the one reason why I love this movie too, because I mean, I mean, all Universal Monster movies always have this one trope. Not even one trope, but several tropes where you're going to get horror, you're going to get romance, and you're going to get tragedy. Because they're all tragic monsters. Yep. All of them. None of them are like this whole... They're not romanticizing the whole lifestyle of like, look at me, I'm a werewolf. Look at me, I'm a vampire, I'm beautiful. No, they, you see the beauty, you see the strengths, but then you also see the pain that comes with it where it's like, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be this. I don't want to live this life. I want to be normal. I didn't ask for this. And it kind of reminds me of people who were like always say, well, I was forced to be alive. You know, <laughs> I was forced to be born in this world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't like, ask for this. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't actually born, but here I am. 
and it's it's kind of like that and it's very like it's very sad you know zaleska is a very tragic character and it is kind of sad that she died alone without having any companion that's what she wanted you know at first she didn't but then she was just like well i can't escape this this plague i can't escape this curse and i might as well be with someone who i can like have this immortal life with share it with them and i guess that's my way of being peace but it kind of wasn't peaceful because she was forcing what was forced onto her into someone else so in a way it's just like you're doing what was done to you to others so that's not peace very true and i honestly i got the gist by the end of the movie around the time where the doctor was coming to get back his assistant that she kidnapped I, I was kind of getting the vibe of the reason why she wanted to turn him at the end was not necessarily because she wanted him by her side, but because she wanted to prove to him that this shit ain't easy to deal with. <laughs> that was the vibe that I was getting because, you know, at the first half of the movie, she's like, you know, she, as you said, she's trying to fight the addiction, right? She's trying to get over it. And she's talking to the psychiatrist because he seems to have all the answers on how to deal with like any type of psychological issues because she did. I would say one thing that I've never heard. I think in general, she described the idea of being a vampire, probably the most interesting way I've ever heard a vampire in any film or anything describe being a vampire. She thought of it as Dracula imposing his will upon her from beyond the grave. So that is why she thought with him dying that essentially his voice would get out of her head. That was how she envisioned it. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I never thought of it that way. And that was how she described it to the psychologist. And he thought. He was saying, well, you know, if your will is strong enough and you could you could overpower that temptation with like your sheer will to want to not do it. And I remember he said a really, I guess, well, it was 1930. So a really dumb method of that, that they used to he said he used before. He was like, whenever I had to deal with alcoholics, we'd put them in a room with a bottle of the alcohol and just sit them there for hours and hours until they like bought the temptation and got completely over it. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible way to make anybody deal with any addiction. <laughs> but it's 1930s so that that's what they was working with but he he just believed that your will can overpower the actual temptation so he even though he didn't know specifically what she was fighting he assumed that she can fight whatever temptation she's experiencing through her sheer will and i think because that shit did not work and she tried to do her own version of what he said he did to alcoholics by talking to lily and bringing lily there and basically making her stand in front of her in the most tempting way possible she thought she would be able to fight the urge to want to consume blood. She failed. She told him that she failed. She's like, I tried your experiment. It did not work. So I think that when she, once she was fed up, she was like, man, fuck this. Let me prove to this motherfucker just how hard it is to actually fight these cravings because he thinks he got the answers and he does not. <laughs> I think that's really where she was coming from by the end of it. So I don't think she wanted him. I think she just wanted him to understand what the fuck she was dealing with. <sighs> I believe that, yeah. And Sandor, man, his her manservant doing everything for her. And he was just like, what? You chose him over me who's been doing everything <laughs> for you? And I'm just like, bro, relax. She never wanted you, man. That's why you're a manservant. <laughs> That's why you are a manservant. Okay? Like, That's I'm true, sorry, but he, bro. But he thought he was up next. That's why he was mad. I don't think he even cared about the love aspect of it. He was up. He he thought he was up next. You know, the whole movie he was like basically uh, in some ways he was the dark voice in her head. Once Dracula passed, and she thought that would stop. He every when she was playing the piano and she's talking about 
all the beautiful things that she sees and he's trying to turn them into the darkest versions of them possible and she's like that's not what i want to see but he's like yes it is it's like he's trying to basically remind her who she is because that's who he wants to be at the end of the day and but she doesn't want necessarily she didn't necessarily want to be that so it was like but at the same time she was fighting the temptation of wanting to be that so he was like that that extra tiny voice in the back of her head kind of keeping her on track in some ways so I guess he was kind of like, I know I'm going to be rewarded for all this shit when when push come to shove. But she was like, I'm about to turn this motherfucker. But she's doing it out of anger. He thinks she's doing it because it's a, he, he views it as a gift. So he's like, this is bullshit that you giving him your gift when I've been working hard like a motherfucker to keep this train on track. <laughs> so he was just, he was over it. <laughs> hmm. It was crazy. But really all along, she just really wanted Janet probably. Cause the way she again the way she yep, looked probably. at janet at the end laying there on the little like sofa she had there and she was just like slowly moving towards her and i'm just like kiss kiss the girl kiss kiss the girl. <laughs> do it kiss that's her. the alternate ending she kills the doctor and goes off for janet i would have been like you know what i love this ending yes i approve <laughs> it yes but you know what's funny um again because of censorship back in the day uh, because the standards, you know, you couldn't show, you know, queerness in film until, like, I think the 70s or 80s when that was changed. Um, mm-hmm. That scene between her and Lily, it was more explicit that she was definitely trying to get with her versus how it was in film. So they had to take certain stuff out where they were like, this is getting too queer. And I, if that was there in the filming, I would have been like, leave it. <laughs> What's the worst could happen? Just leave it. Just, just, um, I, I thought Lily was about to strip ass naked. <laughs> I know. I thought she was too. <laughs> I was just like, oh. And then she's just like, you're so beautiful. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and she's like, why are you looking at that me? Whole situation and I was, was like, weird. oh. <laughs> the whole situation was questionable. That uh, same dog goes out there and she, she looks at him. She sees a dude following her. He's like, no, don't go. I know a place where it's warm and there's food. Do you want to come? I was like, this is how they picked up women back in the day. <laughs> and then she gets there. She's, she's like, are you frightened? She's like, I was frightened when it was him, but I feel safe with you. I was like, man, she got kidnapped in a heartbeat in this day. <laughs> I mean, because there's that whole thing of like women feel more comfortable around women. You know, like, oh, there's course, no yeah. way a woman could ever hurt me because I'm a woman, which is not true. You know, there are definitely women out there who definitely. are vile and evil to other women. Who will help you know yep. with, with all that shout stuff. out to allison mac yeah so it was interesting when she was like i feel so much better and it's 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 interesting how for her for zaleska the way she would charm people was with the ring the the ring yeah. amulet she had where she was like look look into it what do you see whereas dracula he'll just look at you with his eyes and you're just like whoa i'm <laughs> looped up as fuck so but yeah. with her it was just like oh look at this beautiful amulet it's, it was in my family for years isn't it beautiful and, and that was it lily was just like yes oh wow i'm in a trance <laughs> it was a cool ring yeah i've seen other vampire stuff where people do similar things they use like item as a distraction not necessarily just staring at them and doing it yeah i've seen it it's crazy how lore changes i've seen it a lot with necklaces they're like, yeah. look at my necklace, look at my choker, and it's just like, ooh. Um, so it is very interesting. Yeah, man, this movie is just so beautiful <laughs> and sad. And just like, wow, you know, like I mean, I think my favorite line, going back to what you said of how she described 
what vampirism is like with Dracula when she was like, you know, Dracula's, you know, this and that. I love when she was just saying that how, like, it's the dead influencing the, the living. I love that mm-hmm. line so much. That line was just so, like, oh, my God. And then when he was telling her about the whole will, the, you know, you know, have your own will, fight it, fight it, fight it. And she was just like, life against death? How can this be? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a great line. Great line. But, like, but I love that when she was, like, it's, like, the dead influencing the living, which it pretty much is, you know? Because, yeah, because people do see Dracula as the the king of all vampires, the father yep. of all vampires. You know, vampires spawned from him because it was like a, like a plague. He was passed along. He's just like, you get a bite, you yep. get a bite, you all get bites. And then, you know, that vampire turns to another vampire. And that vampire, you know, it went on and on. Um, and it's just so, like, so fascinating, <laughs> you know? I mean, Zelaska was very yeah. beautiful. She was very beautiful. Oh, I sure. loved I loved her makeup, how subtle it was. Yeah. Like it wasn't like in your face, like all out, you know, a whole bunch of makeup, but like she looked so like she looked very um I mean except that how like you know she looks very aristocratic. She looks like, you know, very fancy. I mean, just like hello, she's Dracula's yeah. daughter. Of course she's gonna be fancy. But you know, her <laughs> gown she wore, the way she presented herself, the way she would walk, the way she would talk with such, you know, elegance. And all this stuff, like she really was beautiful. Yeah, and uh, and powerful in a lot of ways. I would say for a woman in the 1930s, like I don't know what the rules were at that time, but like she was definitely going everywhere without the assist without the assistance of uh, her familiar Sandar. She was like moving about as she wanted to move about. He was there to just clean up after her, <laughs> but she was moving about as she needed to. When she went to the parties went to the party and they were all talking about stuff she was moving about as she wanted to at the time no one was like oh silence or anything like that like how the doctor would occasionally do with his assistant like no one did that to her and no one ever tried to like overstep her like she just i guess commanded a certain level of respect from just being in a room which is really interesting considering the time period in which the movie was made so super yeah really interesting from that angle and i was getting a lot of a morticia vibe from her i wouldn't be surprised if uh (laughs) <laughs> uh, Morticia's like visual style was heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by this character because it was a similar look for sure. Like not even just a matter of wearing black, but like like you said, the, min- the minimalist of the of the makeup, the way like the usage of color, all like pretty much the only thing she was missing was the vignette around her eyes. <laughs> well, <you laughs> but that was know basically what? Morticia was heavily experienced. Let's do some Scooby Doo shit. And let me look up <laughs> when exactly Adam's family first came on the screen. Because if it was like years after this movie, then yeah, I can totally see that. Because that is interesting. But I never really knew where Morticia got her look from. Or what influenced it, you know? Yeah. See, one example here says Adam's family was created in 1960. 1964 and this movie came out in 1936 so yeah this was way after you also said that there was a cartoon that ran in 1932 mm, interesting so maybe they influence each other they probably did i mean sometimes something that happens that does happen a lot i mean this movie yeah, sure. has been credited for a lot of films we see today because again the queerness within the film and the whole like personification of Zaleska, you know, the Moth Diaries, you know, references Carmilla and Dracula's daughter a lot. 
yeah. in the making of that movie, which is, again, it's still my favorite vampire movie without being a vampire movie. It's such a beautiful film. Oh. Um, Love Diaries? Mm-hmm. I love yeah, I did really diary. enjoy when we did that. Um, Actually, I want to ask you this. We hmm. know, uh, we kind of know that Dracula is like, in a lot of ways, was heavily inspired by, you know, the, well, the, the historical figure of Vlad the Impaler. Who was Camilla inspired by, if anything? Hmm. I'm not really sure. Well, I think the writer who wrote the book, I think he was secretly gay. So I mm-hmm. feel like, in a way, Carmilla was a personification of himself, but as a woman of how he viewed himself. Yeah. But yeah, I really don't know where Carmilla actually originated from. Let's Google it. I love how like we're doing this live. <laughs> and I bet you people are Got just it, like, do oh, it live. I'm interested too. And we're just doing this right now. Because <laughs> it is uh, really interesting to see how these characters like evolve throughout history and change and how they resurface and how they sometimes vanish through history. But then at the same time, they, they find a resurgence in another interesting way. Because like I said, this is not a character I've ever heard of. Like mm-hmm. and even in like when I see the Universal monsters mentioned, she's not a character that I see usually amongst them. I feel like the only woman I usually see mentioned amongst them is Bride of Frankenstein, and as a lot of people tend to criticize, but rightfully so, it's like she was in her own movie for maybe three minutes. Uh, well, it says here so. that Carmilla was mainly influenced by the era because this was nineteenth century, like you know Britain. Mm-hmm. And they had their whole thing of like sexual corruption and discrimination and homosexuality because that was just a big like ah oh. you know they don't talk about that yeah so that was a big like influence of what wrote Carmilla but I do think and I don't know I don't know if Brit mentioned it or not but I think somewhere it was like he also was was gay. And I believe he kind of put pieces of himself in his book that he wrote, including Carmilla. Because Carmilla is also very, a that. tragic story. It's a very sad story. And the only movie we really have for her is like the Moth Diaries one, right? The Moth Diaries. I mean, there's other independent films with the name Carmilla, but they were never really like up there because they were just very like indie. And I mean like indie indie as mm-hmm. in like no one ever knew they existed. Yeah, like it probably wasn't even in theaters type indie. Yeah, but the Moth Diaries was the first uh, adaptation of Carmilla because they even reference Carmilla in Darth Di- in, in the Moth Diaries, where when they're in the mm-hmm. English, the literature class, you know, the te- their teacher was reading Carmilla to them, but they yeah. were studying the book. Um, and it's just like it's just so interesting. It would be cool to see. I mean, Carmilla was also referenced in True Blood. Because in True Blood, Carmilla, unlike Dracula, she's the mother of all vampires. She's yeah. the originator of all vampires. So she's literally a god. Yeah. So I guess at best, we usually just get like Easter eggs of that character. Because <laughs> people like remember them, but like they don't, it doesn't ring the same bell as like Dracula sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even in um, Castlevania Lords of Shadow, even though it's not really yeah. canon to the, the Castlevania storyline, it is its own entity. You know, Carmilla is in the game. And you have her daughter, however, is Laura, whereas in the book, Laura is Carmilla's lover. So it's it's very interesting how that works. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. I'm sure 
people, if I, <laughs> I was going to ask the obvious question, well, I'm sure some of these characters get lost in history because they're women. Uh, because <laughs> between like the influence that this movie has had on vampires as a whole, and then knowing that Camilla was even before Dracula, it's kind of interesting. You know, <laughs> it's kind of interesting that they'd be the ones that kind of fall to the wayside in some ways in terms of like how culturally important they should be, mm-hmm. but versus how culturally important they actually are. So, you know what? I guess I'll just I'll just chalk it up to like. Well, I, I guess I should probably come up with a name for this, but I kind of chalk it up to like Joker syndrome. Like, I kind of like to joke with my friends. And I, I'm just sure me and you have both talked about this a million times with, like, Batman villains. Like, people always talk about how great the Joker is as a character. And I, and I always say the reason why I think he's so good as a character is because they keep writing him. Yeah. <laughs> so, eventually, somebody's bound to, like, create an iconic version of this character. You just keep writing him. Uh, and versus, like, probably 30 other Batman villains or even hundreds of other Batman villains that just probably got one good story and never written about again. So it's, I think it's just one of those things. Dracula has been written, rewritten, modernized, remixed, flipped, all types of shit uh, for the for like the past, God knows, what, two centuries or whatever. Yeah. Like So like it's only a matter of time for somebody to get a template for the character right versus uh, Camilla and this character that we have here, like who've probably only been written and like an actual with a story focused on them probably once or twice. Mm-hmm. I definitely see that and I agree because I mean it is funny how like Joker is the, is like the the uh, poster child of, of all his villains and it's just like there are way more worse villains than Joker to be honest of course people are like well, who's worse than Joker and I'm just like well the Mad Hatter for once is worse than Joker um Dollmaker is worse than Joker <laughs> like <Shit's ass. laughs> Like, oh my god, you know? They're worse than, than Joker. Like, Dollmaker literally uses... It's like, he's, like, he's like the Chainsaw Massacre. He literally takes your flesh and takes, turns you to a fucking doll. Like, he's a sick man. Good and Lord. Mad Hatter just loves mind control, and he's terrible. <laughs> he's an awful person. Yeah. So there are a lot of villains out there that can be just as cruel and worse than Joker, or, like, even Scarecrow. You know, Scarecrow was never seen as a scary villain, but if you really think about Scarecrow's it, it's fucking terrifying. He, yeah, he's a psychiatrist wandering around, like inducing people with their phobias and fears and freaking them out. So that that's frightening. Then fucking Joker yeah. being all like chaos, haha, and it's just like, okay, man, relax. <laughs> that's what I think made the first Batman Begins movie so fucking good. It was like they they just gassed the whole town and just everyone's freaking out. <laughs> I think that's just so fucking cool. It's just like everyone freaks out like that. I think that shit is like pretty amazing. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I think yeah, that's the only reason I can think of that. Like these characters end up getting lost in time because yeah, if you rewrite a character enough, I feel like you will catch something. So it is like I feel like now, you know, twenty twenty two and on now, this is a perfect time to like bring these characters back. Like not just for the cult, cult classic status, but because of like what they can mean to the culture of like vampires and like the genre as a whole because i would t- you know I, me and jackie jackie you know you and i talk about this shit all the time like i don't mind watching some of my favorite movies have women have as leads like i was that dude watching buffy the vampire slay and all of that of course started something that started with me being like wow sarah michelle Gellar was fucking beautiful or even when i saw the movie i was like i can't remember the lead's name off the top of my head but i was like wow like the woman who plays buffy is like fucking beautiful like wow she's really stunning and I'm like, I'm giving this a shot off of that. And then I actually enjoyed it. And I was like, cool, that works. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, 
that I don't see why that couldn't that wouldn't that couldn't work here, right? Like that can totally work here. Like take these carrot, take Camilla. Let's do like a beautiful retelling of the character. Maybe remix her origins and like do a modern day take if you want. Like bring these characters back, right? Like we need, at least in my opinion, we need both versions of the of these characters, like male and female, because the stories are just different. They're they're just different. Like they're just they're Dracula's story and Camille's stories are just different, and they're different for like reasons that have to do with their appearance and origin. It just and you get to tell different stories. You don't end up with the same monster just ripping everybody apart for a two hours story. Like those stories are cool when we have some of those, but it's also good when we get like these kind of like you know tragic character stories. Like you know Anastasia doesn't really like horror movies at all. Uh, for the most part, when I turned something on, she walked out of the room, <laughs> but. Uh, with this when she was watching it, I mean, she was like, "This movie's like kind of funny and kind of interesting." And I'm sure she probably, in some ways, wouldn't even consider it horror because she wasn't like terrified. But it is horror, and but it's like just it's a drama that's a horror, and mm-hmm. we need more of those. It is funny because the way you're talking about this, because it reminds me how how upset I was when Showtime canceled Penny Dreadful. Because in Penny Dreadful, we had oh, yeah. both Frankenstein and we had the Bride of Frankenstein. Oh my god. The way they did the Bride of Frankenstein in Penny Dreadful was just like, holy shit. Because she <clears throat> was a woman who used to be a sex worker who died because she had um, uh, she had some type of like I think bronchitis because at the time Penny Dreadful mm-hmm. takes place I think during during like 20th century Britain or no 19th century like you know really back in the day there was really no cure for things and whatever mm-hmm. and so she died and then Victor turned her into a bride for a creature because he was just like I want a companion and then when she basically became this person she started to remember who she was and she told creature like like i'm not the one that you want i'm not what you need but i know what i want and she took revenge she took back her body and she had this whole vendetta of like now it's our turn to step on men who disrespect us and i was just like oh my god this is so hot and amazing and i'm in love with this like oh my <laughs> god like it was so beautiful I was like, wow, they turned the Bride of Frankenstein to a whole feminist character where she was just like, yeah, I'm that bitch. And I'm like, oh, my God. So <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds Penny like a, good Dreadful, re- a great retelling. <laughs> it was such beautiful. And I, I'm still sad they canceled it. And I think if Penny Dreadful were to continue, because they did introduce Dracula at towards the end. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like if they would have continued it, maybe we would have had Carmilla. Maybe we would have had her. Maybe we would have seen her. You know, maybe it was reference. Maybe it would have been references. You know, or Laura, you know, being involved. And if we saw Laura, we'd be like, uh oh, Carmilla's coming. Um, yeah. But it's, it's just, it's really sad what could have been. <laughs> you know, like, oh, Penny Dreadful was just such a beautiful, like, series. Yeah, I need to go back and actually finish that one. Cause I saw, I think, like, the first maybe six or seven episodes of season one, and I was like, the show is like super unique. <laughs> I think it's like really, really unique and like right up my alley in terms of like weirdness and craziness. And the whole cast was like great. It was like, yeah, it was like really super unique take. And I don't think there's been anything on a show before, really, really anything like that on TV before, or even since it, honestly. It was just like, 
it was wild. It was like super bizarre. I actually, yeah, I need to go back and actually finish that show though. Super yeah, cool. like it's just it's like, great what you could do yeah. with these characters. Yes, like given a time and the space. I mean, I would love to see Carmilla brought back into the screen, or even like if this film. I know they're bringing back the Bride of Frankenstein. I yeah. know there's talks of that because you know Universal wants to bring about the Universal monsters again. You know, they and should. I forgot who's doing it and who's starring in it, but there is talks of Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and it would be great if, alongside this, we get a new, you know, Dracula's daughter, you know, written and directed by a woman who understands this character and what she's based on. You know, not to say that men can't do that, but you know, you can you can tell sometimes we can't. Yeah, but you can tell when a, when a movie's written by a man who understands and who don't understand. Like you could always tell. Yeah. You know. But I would love to see that, you know, a new modern take of Dracula's daughter where it's it's not so subliminal but more in your face of her struggles. You know, cuz she's this tragic vampire who's just like, you know, I didn't ask to become a vampire. I didn't ask for these urges. But here I am trying to exist, be alive in my own way. But I'm unhappy unha- <clears throat> being alive this way. And it's just so sad. And again, she died being alone, never having that release, never having what she really craved and wanted. So it's very sad. Yeah, for real. It would, uh, Universal should do that with these characters. These, like, these characters, let's be real, they own like the most iconic characters kind of ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like really, like kind of ever, ever. Like so much so that we, for the most part, as like fans of the genre and even just like people who are fan who who know these characters right who don't even aren't even fans of like the genre like they own the rights to like some of the most iconic creatures ever made they should be reimagining that for like the generation now like that would be really cool to see what they do right like why not we've had like so many other weird things like fucking teen wolf and stuff like that which free from the movie which was like really fun to even like the tv show that we had that was actually pretty decent i used to watch a tv show mm-hmm. um it would be kind of cool to see how, like, how else can they reimagine the rest of these characters? Like, what does a Bride of Finkerstein movie look like now, or TV show look like now? Like, and not not just an animated form. Animated form is dope, but like, what does it also look like in a live action version, right? Like, what does all of those things look like now? That could be really cool. I feel like that could be really cool, and shouldn't be too difficult to adapt as long as they don't let people be like you know assholes about it. <laughs> Because sometimes these studios get caught up in, I think, I think anyway, I think they get caught up in thinking so much about what will appeal to people that they get lost in, like, the creativity of the situation. So, I think it could be a really creative, how they go about doing something like that. It could be really fun and really different and memorable. Like, because how nice would it be if, like, I don't know, for people, shit, let's even say 100 years from now, right? Uh, how, how nice would it be for people to look at the version that came out that we saw just now that came out in 1936? Versus the version that, like, they could possibly create by, like, I don't know, 2036. It's like, you have two d- completely different generations, 100 years apart. Same character, but just completely different stories told. Like, that could be really... I think that that's kind of what film should be in a lot of ways, right? Like, that kind of a time capsule. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I've always viewed film as a whole. No, I agree. And also, I know that people are... Because I already know it. Because ha- we see it today with like Little Mermaid and all these other films. We're like, you make these films too political, correct? Blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, shut <laughs> just just go somewhere. Go watch the original animated one. Um, 
but that too you know if they were to remake it yeah she is a very like queer character Zaleska but I would like for them to do it in a very natural setting without it being forced and what I mean when I say mm-hmm. forced where you're like okay I'm not saying they're forcing it on people but I meant like you're you're forcing her urge to be gay for it's obvious where it's not for the gay community that's for straight community versus yeah. when it's something natural that you're just like okay this is definitely for the gay community this is not forced you know again like we can tell we can tell when movies are for us and when they're not for us we can tell we can tell right away with the way it's written the way it's presented the way it is filmed the way the characters are the way the characters look the way they act like we can tell when it's something genuine versus okay I see what you're doing, but that's not for me. That's for my very straight friend, Susan. That's not for me. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get, like, what, you, I get what you mean. Tell. Nah, yeah. I get 100% what you mean. It's just like uh, movies with black leads that are basically about white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, yo, man, I know black people are the lead of this movie, but this movie ain't got to be about the struggle that we're dealing with white people. It could just be black people in the lead. Like, you know, that's that's another criticism people are having about movies now. Where they're just like, cool, I'm happy you got black leads, but every story can't just be oh, man, you know, I lost my whole family and I'm trying to make it work. Like, that can't be every story. <laughs> a motherfucker could just be a scientist sometimes. Like, that's okay. Yeah, it definitely can be okay. And, you know, again, like, that's why she's so iconic for this because, again, it was subtle. It was very subtle. It wasn't obvious, you know, and if they were to re- remake it and make it more obvious, it's like, oh, I can't fight this urge. Oh, you know, what am I? <laughs> And it's just like, what? What is this? <laughs> what? What are you doing? But um, yeah. So that's my little tidbit of that. And like, if this movie gets remade, I hope that it's done correctly with grace and with actual love into it for the re- for the right community, for the right audience, where they're just like, where they feel seen. You know, they feel seen. They don't feel erased. They don't feel like, okay, I kind of relate to it, but this is not about me. You know, like it, it. We need more representation for all people. You know, true. This is facts. Like, it's twenty twenty two. People, about to be twenty twenty three. Get with the times. <laughs> <laughs> Get your shit together. Um. So I saw this movie on Amazon. I rented it out. I'm not sure where else Same. it's on. You rented it out as well. Yeah, I rented it off Amazon. I they, think they're actually good for that, which is dope. Yeah, I think it's also available to rent on Voodoo. Um, I think on Peacock as well. I'm not entirely sure. But for those who have not seen it, definitely give it a shot. I think you would definitely like it. It's a beautiful movie. It's tragic. It's romantic. It's funny at certain times. And yeah, like it's just Universal Monsters, man. Universal Monsters. <laughs> yeah, word. Uh, yeah, I hope they. I hope they do something with that with that ip that shit is dope mm-hmm. like it's, it's re- really cool characters i really i would love for them to bring some of this stuff back uh, that would be the shit but uh yeah with that said this is the end of 2022 right here baby it's the last episode for the year yes thank you for all of you who've been listening to us for this whole entire time we made two years hopefully we make three years <laughs> next year we will we got this and uh yeah and just continue hitting us up continue you know, checking us out and listening to us on all podcasts and we appreciate you all we really do and hopefully you all have a safe holiday stay safe we have five plagues we're fighting right now um <laughs> yeah 
I hope you guys have a safe new year. And till then, see you in 2023. Ooh, you ghost goodbye.